So, did any of you watch the Olympics? Sorry. <laughs> you watch the Olympics? Uh, Beverly and I were absolutely hooked on the Olympics. In fact, what we did is we recorded it through the night and spent weeks and weeks catching up, <laughs> watching it in, in pieces. But one of the new sports this year, I don't know whether you saw, was the skateboarding. And there was this young girl, 13-year-old Sky Brown, who sounded very American, lives in America, has been brought up in America, but apparently is British, and she was appearing for Britain. Well, I was totally mesmerized by the action, but equally mesmerized by the language. And by that, I don't mean bad language, I just mean totally new language, although some of it may not you know, be totally... I mean, am I allowed to say backside in church? Um, because the first one was, there was something called a backside ollie. There was a kick-flip indie a crail-to-tail overflip. <laughs> then there were references that came in a lot about fruit. And the commentator tried to explain for new people to the sport like me. He said, the grapefruit is the grinding feeble, whatever that meant. <laughs> and then even the two commentators got in a muddle. One of them said with great excitement, was that a burial five? And the other responded, I think it was a super-tweaked melon. <laughs> There's another world out there. How old are you, Daniel? 14. 14. You're too old. You have to be 13 to appear in the skateboarding. But let's get back to things we might understand. Last week, we had a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. And Ian mentioned that many of us will have prayed that prayer thousands of times in our lives. I know that for me, we used to pray it in school assembly every day. So how often should we pray? Is it something we should do once a week in church? Or maybe every day? Or even more than once a day? How often did Jesus tell us we should pray? Let's read Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus doesn't actually tell us when we should pray. He just presumes that we will. He then goes on to teach us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And then in verse 16, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Putting olive oil on your head is referring to basic hygiene. It's what they used to do at the time. So it's more like if you normally wear makeup, then wear makeup. 
Don't draw attention to the fact that you're fasting. Jesus is instructing his disciples to maintain their personal appearance so that no one but the Father will know that they're fasting. So Jesus presumes that we will pray, and he presumes that we will fast. He actually says about giving, praying, and fasting that they should all be done quietly in private. Things to be done between us and God, not shown off in any way. But I wonder how many of us actually practice fasting regularly, or even at all. I have fasted, but I confess I hadn't for quite some time. But I'll come back to that. So why should we fast? What's the point? Well, there are a number of reasons why people fasted throughout the Bible. And in fact, apparently there are 77 references to fasting in the Bible. So Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. Daniel fasted and prayed to understand a vision. Esther fasted for three days and asked Mordecai and the Jews in Susa to fast as well before she approached the king to save her people from being killed. John the Baptist fasted by sticking to a strict diet throughout his life. Even Jesus fasted when he was tempted by Satan in the desert. The early church worshipped and fasted before the Holy Spirit gave them clear instructions. So fasting was considered important. It was important for Moses while he spent time in close communion with God. It was important when Daniel was seeking the Lord's direction for the future. It was important for Esther when she was pleading with God to intervene. And in this case, she called on others to join with her in the fast, to show solidarity and commitment. It was important to John the Baptist as he showed his dedication to God. It was important for Jesus as he prepared for his own ministry. And it was important for the church leaders of Antioch when they were making big decisions. So why is it important? I mean, it's not some kind of magic ingredient that guarantees God's answers. It isn't something that enables us to manipulate God to do what we want. But through fasting, we're showing God our commitment and sincerity. And it also somehow opens us up to be more receptive to hearing God speak. Fasting is a discipline undertaken so that we can concentrate and focus on our relationship with God. Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, and in the chapter on fasting, he says, fasting must forever center on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. Like the prophetess Anna, we need to be worshiping with fasting. Every other purpose must be subservient to God. Luke chapter 2, 37 actually says, She, Anna, never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Fasting was and still should be an important dimension of prayer and worship. C.H. Spurgeon wrote, 
Our seasons of fasting and prayer at the tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. And John Wesley was speaking of fasting when he declared, let our intention herein be this and this alone, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Nathan Foster is Richard Foster's son, and he's also written on fasting. He says, fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Remember, there's nothing wrong with these normal functions in life. It's just that there are times when we set them aside in order to concentrate Once we understand this, we can see both the reasonableness of fasting as well as the broader dimensions to it. I find it interesting that he says we set them aside in order to concentrate because one of the very real difficulties of fasting is that we can be completely distracted from anything and everything by overwhelming hunger. Indeed, I confess that I started working on this sermon one morning And because I was thinking about going without food, I was completely distracted by hunger that I had to stop and go and have something to eat, which I recognize as pretty pathetic considering the circumstances. There's definitely a time and a place for fasting. I have fasted for a number of reasons over the years. One time I used to fast regularly was every year on Good Friday. My reason being that I wanted to acknowledge Jesus' absolute sacrifice for me on the cross by making a small sacrifice of my own. Every time I felt hungry, I would thank Jesus for what he'd been through for me. I've got out of that habit, and I think I should return to it. But the most major occasion was when the church we attended in London decided to undertake a 40-day fast to seek the Lord's way forward for the church. The leadership all committed to various levels of complete fast. I think there were those who drank only water for 40 days. But they suggested we all come up with our own plan. Some would skip one meal a day. Others might have given up TV. I don't know. It was intended to be a personal thing between the individual and God. I think I was overambitious. I love my traditional meat, potatoes, and gravy meal. So I decided to eat only fruit for 40 days. I coped for a while, but then I added vegetables to my diet for some variety. And I confess, by the end, I had a vegetarian Chinese takeaway. (laughs) But the fact is, I grew very close to God in that time. People would come to mind, and I would pray for them, and then... I would amazingly just turn a corner and there they would be and they would share with me a need I could help them with. And that happened on a number of occasions. Interestingly, I was searching for articles and comments on fasting online while preparing for this morning. And I came across a podcast with some quotes that I liked. So I looked at the top of the page to acknowledge where my information came from. And I discovered it was written by an old friend of ours who'd been at that same church during that 40-day fast. Liz Bewley has been studying Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster during the pandemic. 
and had been posting her thoughts online. She has clearly had similar experiences to me. She says of God while fasting as she went about the normal day, I started to be aware of his presence in the kitchen as I was going about the things I needed to do. I became aware of people coming into my mind and prayers I had for them just in the flow of the day. And she goes on to make some very practical suggestions. Try fasting food. Pick one meal to miss. And instead of eating, take some time to worship. Use a journal to note your experience, the Bible passages you read, what you felt God say and how you felt physically. Then make a commitment to pick one meal a week on the same day that you can fast and section off that time with Jesus on a regular basis. Each time, note down any words or pictures or even songs that stuck out to you. When I started preparing for this sermon, I realized that I should actually practice what I was preaching. So I decided to fast through one meal a week. And I've used that time to be quiet with God, reading some Psalms and a few other passages of Scripture, and dipping into a devotional guide. But I've also just tried to give God space and time to speak to me. I don't know where I've ever mentioned this before here, but the night I became a Christian, I'd been calling out to God. I mean, I was going to a youth group, and I was loving what they were saying about Jesus. And I thought, I would love to be a part of that, but I'm not going to believe in something unless I have proof. I don't want to believe in an idea that some friends are telling me is good. I want to know it's God. So I was saying to God, I want a sign. Give me a flash of lightning. Speak to me. Just give me something so I know you're really there. And I realized that I doubted him so much, I didn't even give him a chance to answer me. And I tried for a moment. No, nothing. Then I picked up a book that I'd been lent by the youth leader at the church. And the next chapter had a poem in it. And it was a poem about somebody trying to phone God. But why is his phone line always busy? Dial again. But God never answers. Oh, there's someone at the door. I wish they'd go away. I'm trying to get through to God. Don't they understand this is more important? What if that's God at the door trying to get through to me? And I knew at that moment that was God speaking to me. I'd been demanding a sign, and that was my sign. And I've never doubted him since. You see, I'd been trying to hear from God, but I hadn't been prepared to listen. And I confess, I still don't often spend enough time listening to his still, small voice. So I've been trying to do that, at least in one hour a week just lately. Liz Bewley continues, Create space for Jesus to step into. Pick something from your daily life that makes up normal, normal life for you. What would it look like to fast that thing for a week? When it's removed, allow your thoughts to turn to Jesus. Put worship music on. Pray instead of reaching for that thing and see how he fills the space. And Nathan Foster again says, ordinarily, we think of fasting from food, which is the normal way the Bible speaks of it. 
But we can fast from many things. We can fast from media. We can fast from noise, hurry, and crowds. We can fast from excessive talk. We can fast from our technological devices, our computers, our mobile phones, and more. Whatever in our lives is producing an addiction in us is a prime area for fasting. In this way, we're learning to depend on God alone. It's helpful to think that there are other things we can fast from because there can be side effects from fasting from food that we should be aware of. For some people, it's not medically safe to go without food. People with diabetes, for example, or pregnant women, small children. For some people, there can be the bonus of losing weight. I know that during the 40-day fast I mentioned, many people lost considerable amount of weight. And many were able to maintain that reduced weight afterwards. But for others, the weight problem was a real issue. And they put on all the weight and more afterwards. And the fast wasn't a healthy thing for them at all. Someone undertaking heavy physical work should be wary of the effect of fasting on their strength. And we should drink plenty of water. Another side effect that I have noticed recently is also it makes your breath smell. So we shouldn't feast before or after fasting either. With a major fast, let yourself in gradually and gently. Maybe sit still and try to hear what God is saying to you. Our son Michael leads the children's work in his church. And he asks the children to try to catch what Jesus is saying. to them. And he says that if some bad thoughts come into your mind, they're not going to be from God. God only says good things. So ignore those. Throw them away. But if it's good, it could be God speaking to you. But we won't hear God's voice if we're not in a position to listen to him. My experience has been that through fasting, I've heard God speak to me. Nudge me to say something I wouldn't have thought of. Lead me into a situation I hadn't expected. But I've also found it just to be a valuable time. Not a time of receiving anything, but a time of committing myself afresh to my Heavenly Father. To finish with another quote from Nathan Foster. While the physical aspects of fasting intrigue us, we need to remember that the major work of fasting is in the realm of the spirit. The spiritual discipline of fasting can bring breakthroughs in the heart and mind that will not happen in any other way. It's a means of God's grace for the continuing formation of the human personality into the likeness of Christ.